Malcolm Honline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations, joins us Fridays for the weekly update here at JM in the AM. Mr. Honline, welcome back to JM in the AM. Thank you. Good to be with you. Appreciate that. I wish you a safe trip. Appreciate that as well. It's a great experience coming up, especially the first time you go, and it's a little overwhelming at times, but make sure you see the indoor aquarium in the... Uh, in the shopping mall. Do you know, no joke, and my kids always laugh at me, I love aquariums. I mean, like, if there's a daytime activity with my that's family. That's a fishy story. I, I'm not kidding. I love aquariums. So if you're <laughs> telling me they really have a high-quality one there, that's fantastic. Unbelievable. Oh, I can't wait no, to see it. No, it's like now. a couple stories high, big glass wall, but you can take a boat around inside. Oh, I can't. You, you, you basically just, just scheduled my three hours of touring that we have available. <laughs> I will be spending it there, and I'm glad. And I can't believe with all the people preparing us for this trip, no one mentioned that to me. But I guess because it's in the mall, everyone talks about going to the gigantic mall, so I guess that's why. Anyway, uh, I thank you for that, and we will, please God, speak next Friday, and I'll be able to, uh, uh, to give you some uh, personal accounts of what, uh, of what went on in the UAE. Um, well, I guess, Malcolm, if I told you that I was applying for the job of uh, head nuclear scientist for Iran, you would likely discourage me from taking that job. No, not at all. I think it's a great idea. <laughs> <laughs> Just make sure your uh, insurance is paid up uh, for, for Stacy's sake and uh, kids. But otherwise, no, it's highly recommended. It. It's a very lucrative job. You get a, a lot of attention, and um, especially from outside the country. He actual- but this guy was irreplaceable. And regardless of what people say, like Suleimani, it's not just his scientific knowledge, which he got at MIT, by the way, wow. um, but it's his it's the management skills, the experience uh, at a very critical time for them. That uh, this is not something you could, if somebody will come into the position, but it's not a replacement. Uh, for for him and those who think and say this was done to sabotage the the Biden administration, this was planned. It had to be planned months, if not even years ago. They're tracking the intensity of this effort. Uh, now they're saying the Iranian regime now says there was no assassins on the site. It was all done by remote control, and which is trying to explain why they didn't catch him. You know, he had security guards with him, but they were not paying attention. Uh, it was brilliantly executed, and I'm sure there will be half a dozen movies, each one with a different take on how uh, this was done. But we have to remember that, that the nuclear program is an existential threat. It's not just a minor um, issue. So we've seen that Israel and others, whoever were involved, were showing that you can. there are other ways to, to address their nuclear program other than bombing it from the air. Uh, we saw it with the explosions that took place. We've seen it in the stealing of the the records that that were uh, uh, taken out, and I think the the um, you know the condemnations by Belgium and uh, Iraq and South Korea and others, and the fact that the, the EU um, commissioners sent uh, condolences to the wife, and uh, we heard NPR talking about the poor, the young widow. I mean, this, uh, this is incredible. This is a guy who's who's responsible for a, a program that violates international law, could theoretically be called a, a war criminal, uh, and and the you know this is part of the evil intent of the Iranian government with its support for Hezbollah.
mobilize its efforts around the world and certainly in the region. So these crocodile tears are really quite incredible, but not surprising, I guess, in the world in which we are living today. Even though I didn't remember, and I'm sure most people didn't remember, the Prime Minister of Israel actually put out a warning for this guy. Uh, I mean, I mean, you know, put a hit on him, I guess one could say, you know, from the perspective of the West, but put a warning out for him and those who are in Iran. I mean, I I guess I'm assuming that he did travel and 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 was always, you know, given as much security and as much, you know, high level security as possible. Right. And nonetheless, whoever did this was able to overcome that. He had security, He had only two cars with him. and there are also disputes about that one car went ahead to check out his house, that uh, it was a neighborhood where a lot of RGC uh, officers live. And the um, and and then they claimed that he, they were aware, the, the government of Iran said we were aware that he was a target, and we took precautions because there's obviously a lot of demands now for explanations from the people about how come the Iran Revolutionary Guard and others, the security establishment doesn't detect who blew up these buildings, how they could knock off this guy. There are a lot of questions that were consistently being raised, and so they're scrambling to give answers and, of course, issuing threats. Uh, and the fact that there hasn't been uh, a response that should not comfort people, we should everybody should be careful traveling uh, in visible being visible, uh, and it could be Jewish targets, could be Israeli targets. We've seen them uh, do, doing it in the past. You know, there's in fact the interesting thing is there was a trial that started the same days in Belgium of an Iranian diplomat who was based in Vienna, and other Iranians went on trial in Antwerp for a plot to blow up a rally in France of prominent Iranian opposition groups. And a, this guy brought a bomb through, because he had diplomatic immunity through a, the diplomatic pouch. It was, you know, that doesn't get any attention. People are not right. screaming that innocent people were, were about to be killed. Yeah. Understood. Uh, just back for a moment to the specific episode, because as you brought up, you know, some are saying it was done remotely robot etc originally uh, we assumed that they were just assassins who were you know taking care of business uh, iran did release photos of suspects so what are those are those photos of real suspects or are those just you know they, they needed to to give the impression that they were you know on the case and and put out some pictures yeah and you notice that those pictures sort of disappeared yeah you know? and these were uh, i think that they are in fact dissident Member Arab dissidents in in uh, in Iran. Um, people were saying it's Israeli Arabs. That one looks to Jewish. As far as I know, nobody's identified the four people, but uh, they're saying that they were uh, dissidents who were working in concert. So this gives them an excuse to crack down domestically if they make those kind of assertions. And the problem here is that unlike some of the other attacks, like Natanz and other things, people didn't demand. Uh, retribution, but because they have raised the specter so high, and the uh, threats of of uh, now the modulus has introduced legislation to double the budget for their nuclear program, and it already before this had initiated measures to uh, raise the the amount that they could enrich, and uh, all these violations, and saying they're not going to come back into the. Um, uh, JCPOA, even though the administration has indicated that that's their their intent. Yeah. So 
this is, uh, you know, the Iranians assassinate people all the time in Europe and elsewhere outside of their own borders, and that does not count. But when somebody like this is eliminated, uh, who is involved in a, a most dangerous activity that will destabilize everybody, it's not about Israel. I don't know if Israel did it or not, but whoever did it should be given a Nobel Peace Prize. Um the people who did it, because even if it's a remote operation and even if it's, you know, by robot, I assume someone still has to be in the country or in the vicinity to actually make it work. The people who did it, you suspect, are still in the country or you can't conjecture? Uh, I am sure the people who did it are not uh, are not accessible, uh, that the guy who owned the van, for instance, they caught, they found one of the vans and it was somebody who left the country the day before. So, and he bought it in, for cash from a, a villager somewhere in, in Iran. Uh, and and we don't know yet what is really true, that they, they are saying that this remote electronic system, because that will um, mitigate some of the criticism, uh, whether that's really true or not, nobody has uh, acknowledged. So we have to give it a chance to see what, what is uh, going to happen. And... and um, uh, it, uh, what was I going to ask? In terms of the remote system and um, and the way it operates, wouldn't if there really was a human being near the operation, wouldn't some satellite or you know there are cameras everywhere, right? That's the impression today. There's cameras everywhere, and I would assume that there are satellite pictures from space of of many areas, right? Would, wouldn't it have picked up if there was actually a person there? Wouldn't it have picked it up, or not necessarily satellite photos of of an area like that. And it could be that this street, because the, the, first the reports of the people on motorcycles, then and right. two cars, right. and uh, 12 people were involved. So why are there no photos of those involved. motorcycles? Why is there, or is, is it just a, like they chose an area where they knew it wasn't under surveillance? Because they can uh, ride up even on an narrow street right next to a car and plant a, uh, an explosive on it or shoot into it. And there are reports that, that uh, you know, there was an attempt on him a number of years ago, and he jumped out of the car, um, and and his life was was spared. Right. So you know, the, um, here he may have gone out of the car. Also, at, at first they didn't think it was um, an attack. They they thought it was something that happened to the car. And he got out, and when he was out on the ground, they got him. And then they said that somebody came over and and shot him to make sure, but. I don't know that uh, I don't know yet that we have an inkling of uh, the truth. Is it all about him? Meaning, let's say he was the top scientist in North Korea, would, would there be an international effort to take him out there, or is it because we just don't trust Iran as much as we trust North Korea, or vice versa? And that's why, you know, because he's working for the Iranians, there's no choice but to take him out. Well, Iran is threatening all of its neighbors, and uh, them getting the nuclear bomb would mean that destabilizing the whole region. It would threaten every country in the Gulf, all of their neighbors, but also countries around the world. It's part of the problem of of them getting back the money, getting tens of billions of dollars from the sale of, if if the restrictions are lifted, then uh, they would then be able to get all the weapons they want and move ahead as they have all along with their nuclear program. I mean, they're lying and they're cheating. Uh, as we speak, we know it. Uh, the idea that they would become nuclear would, A, settle for a nuclear arms race in the region where Saudi Arabia, Egypt, others, would all, Turkey, everybody would go nuclear and get nuclear weapons. But more, more importantly, we know that they're an irresponsible party engaged today 
in all sorts of efforts to destabilize regimes and, and manifest terrorism. Because right. Hezbollah, thank God, has been cut back on the funds. To me, the money aspect now is uh, that, that they could get by the uh, United States rejoining the JCPOA. And if they get, he needs right now $20 billion to support his terrorism activities abroad. He needs $20 billion right now to stabilize his currency. They say altogether he needs $60, $70 billion immediately uh, to, for, for immediate needs. So the, that, that to me is, is the danger because the, the maximum pressure campaign was working, and everybody who says that it wasn't is not right. right. It was working. It was limiting their ability. They they were selling much less gas, even though it's increased, uh, but they have to sell it through secondary and tertiary uh, markets. So this is uh, and the elimination of this guy. It's not the first guy. It's not the last guy in the world that that who is in a position like that, who has been eliminated. Yeah. Not any run. Right. Uh, but just b- based on my question then about the whole North Korea comparison, even though to people like myself and many Westerners the two seem similar, we don't realize the vast differences in in on the diplomatic field of what's going on in North Korea as compared to Iran. In other words, I'm not saying North Korea are good guys. I'm just saying that it's such a much more serious situation. Well, you know, they work together. There's a synergistic relationship, and even this guy, Bahrain was in North Korea at the time of some of the nuclear tests. Um, and we know the North Koreans are in, in uh, Iran, and you, you know that in Syria, for instance, the nuclear reactor that was, thank God, eliminated um, a couple of years ago was a joint project of Iran and, and uh, North Korea. The, the missile system that Iran uses is based on the Nodong of North Korea. North Korea benefits from the information of the, of the Iranians' nuclear uh, tests. So the, the linkage is not far-fetched, uh, actually, but it, it is the circumstances are somewhat different. America's one and only Jewish Moments in the Morning Radio program, heard on listener-sponsored digital radio. Around the world, the web at NachumSiegel.com and the NachumSiegel Network, and of course on the beloved NSN app. Uh, our trip to the UAE, tune in Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday to hear our shows from Dubai. Malcolm Honline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. I'll move on in a minute because there's other things to talk about, but just to, there are a couple of things. You mentioned the Biden administration and whether this would have an effect, and, and you felt it was uh, silly to conjecture that this was you know done timing-wise because of the change coming up in Washington. Um, but but the question is, you know, we wonder, and we heard what he had to say about this last night about the whole Iran situation. We wonder about the diplomatic discussions that he wants to start with Iran when he becomes president. And, you know, when Iran makes it clear that they want to bar nuclear inspectors and Iran makes it clear that they blame the West, not just Israel, for what happened. Uh, you know, in my mind, it's a golden opportunity for him to really continue to keep the distance between the U.S. and Iran. But I, it seems like there's nothing stopping him. It seems like he's committed no matter what. When he becomes president, there will be open diplomatic discussions with them. Would you anticipate that, that he's going to go forward like that? 100%. They, that That is what he said during the campaign. Uh, I don't think that they're just going to give a blank check on it, but the and some of his people in the administration are were advocates of the JCPOA, but they're cautious. They're not. They're, some of them have a lot of experience in this area, and they have to see the reality on the ground and listen to our allies. Um, we've heard talk that they will be tougher on Egypt, tougher on Saudi Arabia, human rights issues, other things. But the, the real key question is, what do you do about Iran? And to a lesser degree, about what do you, or 
equally Turkey, both of which are so aggressive and, and threatening our interests, building bases, expanding their networks, South America, Africa, all over the Middle East, into Europe. The, these are real challenges, and, and you know, you can have a difference of, of opinion about what's the best way to leverage Iran. They'll say, look, you did maximum pressure, but the nuclear program is still advancing. So that, program, that approach didn't work. But we do know that the only language the Iranians understand is when you're tough with them, when, you, when they see that there's a price to pay. And they have paid a heavy price, and, don't, and nobody should believe it didn't have an impact on their ability to engage in some of this terrorism. We know Hezbollah guys have not been paid. We know that in Syria they had a cutback. We know that it was true in terms of their money to Hamas, which, you know, now Turkey is giving others are involved there as well. So, you know, the approach is, and this was the latest comment, was that he would go into it and then negotiate from there. But that I assume that it, they wouldn't move the, remove the restrictions and the sanctions until the negotiations. But he said that if they are in compliance and they're willing to recommit, then they would be willing to remove some of the sanctions. Right. Look, a lot of those were by executive order. There are hundreds of them against the Iranian targets. And uh, they've already had a couple of months to work on these things to, to remove them. And I think that we'll see early on some of these things as gestures and as um, um, what they believe to be uh, an approach to the way to deal with uh, an Iranian regime. I know, and it just seems so absurd. You're dealing with an administration, I mean now in Iran, that's that's making a commitment to bar nuclear inspectors, that wants to double its nuclear budget and has basically publicly said so, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like you're going to the table with a, with a group of people that are just, you know, not interested in a real deal. They're just interested in continuing forward until they get what they want. Well, some of that could be, you know, leverage where they play good guy, bad guy. Rouhani came out against the doubling the budget by the modulus for the nuclear program and the amount uh, enriched and even saying that they should withdraw from all of their commitments under JCPOA. So now he looks like the moderate. And we know that Rouhani and Zarif uh, are just the same kind of wolves, but in sheep's clothing, they're used by the only person who makes decisions, and that's uh, Khamenei, the supreme leader, and they're facing an election in June. So you have to understand that within Iran, this is the the dominant consideration for them, is the race that is already on that will for the election that will take place in, in um, I think, the end of May, beginning of June, uh, and Rouhani will be out, So uh, by all estimates. So you're going to have um, the, the fight is over whether the hardliners will emerge or not. Everybody's a hardliner. Right. You only need the question of degree and kind of whether they wear a suit or not. But this is, you know, we have to, they're very clever. The Iranians are smart people. They, they are shrewd in their dealings, maybe sometimes too smart. The, the nuclear program brings no benefit to the people. And, and you have tremendous dissent within the country. And if they don't see that the West is going to stand up with them and for them against the regime, then the opposition will, will diminish, too. When they saw it with Trump and, and, and frankly, didn't do all that they should have done for the dissident groups and supporting them, but much more than in the past, um, th- that encourages them in that, and they stand up against the regime. Remember, the, the Farsis are less than half of the, gover- of the population. You have tremendous uh, ethnic groups, and you have within the Farsi group even a lot of dissent, especially amongst young people. So there are opportunities that could bring around change if if it's properly uh, guided. Yeah, and you know, you gave us such a good uh, assessment of Turkey last week, and I paid more attention to it this week for that reason, and 
It, it's it's very similar situation, by the way. We want to take over everything. We want to have power throughout the entire region, but we also, you know, we need the benefits of of, of what our neighbors have, whether it's Israel or the U.S. could do us something. Like, no, there's no interest in compromising. No, no interest in putting together a real deal, a real diplomatic effort. And but I, both have them have a lot of. Uh, you're making an important point about the similarities between the two. Both have a hegemonic goal. One wants the Ottoman Empire. One wants to recreate the Persian Empire. Right. They both are building bases all over. They're expanding their influence. They support terrorist entities. They they have radical ideologies. One is Sunni. One is Shiite. But both are in, involved in activities. And you know, Europe is now contemplating a whole package of sanctions against. Uh, Iran against uh, Turkey, sorry, and France is leading uh, the charge because of the things that Erdogan said against Turkey, against France, calling boycotts and um, uh, even attacking um, uh, Macron by name. So there are really a lot of similarities in terms of what both are doing and how both are destabilizing other countries and targeting other countries. You see Iran, uh, Turkey is hosting Hamas now in Ankara, giving them passports, enabling them to travel, other stuff that they, they're doing. I mean, we can do whole shows on each of them about the, the many things that they are doing to uh, to destabilize. And, you know, the Europeans pay attention one week, and then it seems to, to dissipate the next. But this resolution was passed, I think it was like 630 to 3, with 60 abstention at the European Parliament for a non-binding resolution yes. in support of Cyprus against Turkey and, and more about the, their uh, their gas exploration in Mediterranean. And they're doing progressive things. In fact, they just built a base now in Mogadishu. That's how far it's going because that is a critical position in the Red Sea. And Egypt is building a base right there as well, uh, near there on the other side. To um, to counter Turkish or to try to limit Turkey's ability to expand its influence there in the in the region. By the way, on the scientist hit, were you surprised or or am I not aware about a UN uh, condemnation of that attack? Uh, you, you're not aware because they didn't do it. They didn't. They do couldn't. It. No country, according to the president of the Security Council, made a request that there be a condemnation. Interesting, huh? Um, all right, now to everyone's favorite topic, Malcolm, and you know what that is in the year 2019. Baseball. In the year 2019, there were two elections in the state of Israel. In the year 2020, there was one election in the state of Israel. Now, in the year 2021, it looks like they're going to the polls again. Uh, I guess Prime Minister and, and uh, th- those who you know who analyze these situations and really appreciate the naivete and the uh, uh, the, the politically uh, novice Benny Gantz. Um, I, I guess they would say at this point that since uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu set things up for this to happen, for the government to fall and for a new election to be called, I assume Prime Minister Netanyahu, based on polls and maybe just a, a feeling that he has, feels that the results will be a lot different this time around. And post-COVID, because I'm assuming he's hoping that this election will be after the vaccine, that post-COVID he has a chance to actually get a real quote-unquote majority. You know what I mean? The ability to form a government. Is that basically what it comes down to? That's one scenario. It could be that he's just doing this as leverage to force more accommodation and that he really doesn't want to go to an election. For one thing, nobody knows the outcome. The election wouldn't be held till probably at least March because you need three months notice. That that would be um, more likely like May or March. It would probably be April, May because of Pesach, because of other things. Uh, And actually, when the government 
is suspended, the prime minister becomes much more powerful right. and can do a lot of stuff right. that he can't do because he doesn't have to go to Knesset for approval once the, it disbands itself. But the, um, so the, the one option is that this is uh, a ploy because it has to go back now to the committee, gets a reading, then it's, it's reported out for the first reading, then it goes back to committee, then it goes in back for the second and a third reading. <laughs> in between, there are all sorts of deliberations. So it, it's going to take some time till this actually happens. This is only a preliminary step. Uh, he looks and he sees that uh, Bennett is gaining on him constantly, and he has a chance perhaps to form a right-wing government. Never does um, well at the polls, as we know. Uh, that's right. And so, again, Israelis are proving the old adage that right. they tell the truth to the pollsters and lie at the polls. Correct. So the outcome is never the same as the pollsters predict, but the, the the opposition is so weak right now, or perceived to be weak. If they can make a unified front, you see that uh, Lapid and Gantz already are fighting, and the the um, well, they're not uh, the political veterans are not going to trust Gantz at this point. I mean, the way they look at it, he was just no, but he they were talking about a merger, and and Gantz said he would lead the opposition. Uh, Lapid said he won't, and Gantz said, well, you never could win anything, and you can't run anything. And we see that Boogie Alom uh, is bringing Eisenhower supposedly bringing uh, General Eisenkot on board, and he would have a new ticket. So I think it'll be, we, a lot of things have to settle down. We have to see whether, in fact, they, it's in their interest, and that will depend upon the polling as they get closer to having to make a final decision, uh, whether it pays for Netanyahu to, to risk it. Uh, remember, if there's an election, that sort of takes the pressure off with a new administration coming in because, you know, they can't be expected to take certain moves uh, so early on. Uh, they also, he has his uh, own considerations in terms of the legal processes and things that um, he has to take into account. I think people uh, are just resigned to this uh, system. Uh, uh, the biggest growth industry is, is polling and elections <laughs> in Israel. And anybody who's perverse enough to think that this is uh, the most interesting story um, I think it has to be examined because this is—it it doesn't look good. It looks. Um, yeah, you know, who, you know who could solve this problem in a who could solve this problem in a minute. That's Lieberman. If he would just, you know, if he would, if he would. I, I mean, I know he'd be going against some of the things he's promised his constituents never to do. But if there'd be a way to compromise and get him to uh, to actually want to form a coalition with one of the major groups, then it probably would put an end to this. I don't know where he would be in the new next election, and it doesn't look like blue and white would do very well. So they, I'm sure that their polling indicates uh, all of these things. Look, they're riding on a high with uh, the Bahraini foreign minister being there, the right. overflight over Saudi Arabia, the UAE, um, the immense amount of interaction, as you will see when you go to the kosher restaurant, you probably have to wait online. The um, the number of groups, even a wedding in the, in UAE, I, I think people should take it slow. I'm very worried that this is too much, too fast. Uh, I like things built on the solid ground, but uh, when we see with Sudan that they're sort of pulling back now because they're trying to leverage the United States to give them guarantee them immunity from cases here brought by victims of terror uh, that they blame on the Sudanese government. So the the uh, that one is. Uh, Sort of wishy-washy right now, but the you know so he has that he has the accord, the battle against COVID. Uh, he is they're fighting it valiantly. Unfortunately, there are upsurges uh, like everywhere else around the world. Uh, 
Uh, the economy uh, that it is sustained the way it is, the shekel remains strong, is something that he can uh, point to. But, you know, the people, nobody knows what the people will do, what the demonstrations mean. Obviously, the polling shows that he would be ahead by five, six, seven seats right now. Right. And again, if it was post-COVID, some might argue that it'll just go up. Um do you know, if you read the news stories carefully, it's possible that Israel is going to start distributing a vaccine in their country before the U.S. does here. Uh, I don't think so. They're supposed to get 4 million doses, I think, by the end of December. Um, but And they've also ordered from all the different places that are, are bringing, are, are producing them. They negotiated with everybody so because they want to eventually be able to have enough to inoculate everyone. Right. So... I don't know what, you know, every, this is still a gray area about how soon everything can be signed, and people, I think, will be hesitant at first to, to take it. But, you know, this is a different kind of vaccination. But the, the look, we look at the numbers, the people dying, the people sick. It's, it's really frightening, and, and this is really critical. The only way is when a majority have the inoculation that we can gain control of this. Do you think that, uh, I mean, I know it's hard to predict, and it's early December, but, I mean, I've spoken to some doctors just asking, is it possible that by Purim late February or Pesach late March that, you know, this thing could really be rolling in earnest and that millions will be getting the vaccine? Do you think we're on that type of timetable? Look, if we have the distribution systems, if we have the, um, you know, they have the order that the first uh, first responders, doctors, nurses, all of those, and then the very elderly and, and vulnerable um you know, people like you, and and then the uh, <laughs> rest, <laughs> then the rest of us younger people who, um, uh, so you know, the people will have many millions ahead of them online, but it's possible by I don't think necessarily by March. I think it'll be hard to have a, a critical number, but uh, certainly a significant number, and they're mobilizing all sorts of resources here in the United States and and elsewhere. Many countries have already used, planned to use their military right. to help administer it. So we're going to see. But at least there's some light at the end of the tunnel, and it's not a train coming at us. Right. After that joke about me, now you have to call ahead and make sure I don't have to stand online at the restaurant in Dubai. <laughs> we'll if you give you a recommendation. I, I, mean, I was told that, you know, the best part about this job, I never have to wait at a restaurant for a table. I mean, come on. This doesn't make sense, Malcolm. What are you, what are you trying to tell me? So Is the, it true? <laughs> we'll see in Dubai if they, uh, yeah, don't believe me. they make you. If I don't have to wait, I'll make a Facebook Live video about it. That I can tell you. <laughs> uh, all right. So the polls in Israel regarding the president. The next president of Israel, uh, there are people who uh, are, are, are encouraging Miriam Peretz that she'll be president. Some actually say Netanyahu could be the next president of Israel. That would be interesting, huh? Yes. If Netanyahu would, I, I assume, by the way, I shouldn't make this assumption, but I assume he'd have to leave his position as prime minister, right? <laughs> Uh, yes, and the 32 ministries he's still I was just going to say, you could be defense minister and prime minister, but you can't be president and prime minister. That would be... That would no, be... There is talk that that's what, what he wanted, that after uh, Rivlin's term, and but I'm not sure right now that that's, that's still the case. Uh, Yuli Edelstein, when he was speaker, was considered a prime candidate for right. it. I think that that may be less so, but I'm, I, I think that... He and many others have their eyes on, on that position. You know that Yehuda Glick is on the list? Of people running for president? Yeah, that's something. That's interesting. And Amir Peretz as well. Uh, right. Amir Peretz's name was submitted. Yeah. So, you know, but I think Rivlin has raised the profile 
in a way. Yeah, he was true. a very activist president, certainly Paris was. Yeah. Um, so I think more people wanted. I think it's a great job. I uh, wouldn't mind that job. Uh, very <laughs> few jobs in Israel I would want, but you get the nice house in, in Rehavia, you get, you know. So anyone who thinks you have a similar job, they're wrong. Pardon me? Anyone who thinks you have a similar job, they're wrong. Either they're very wrong, right? <laughs> but <laughs> but look, he, you know, he has a lot of influence in, in in the way of moral suasion, and he was seen as a uniter, Rivlin. Oh, yeah. No and um, certainly built up the profile of the job. Finally, could Jordan lose control of Muslim holy sites in Jerusalem? No, I don't think so. I think there could be other parties introduced, and they're, they're fighting very strongly against it. Um, Saudi Arabia reportedly wants to have some role. They, they've always seen themselves, because the descendants of Mohammed. King of Morocco also sees himself as having a role there. Uh, Erdogan of Turkey has made clear that he, he sees himself having a role. But the, Jordan was is particularly sensitive about it and saying that they the, control the walks and there will be no changes and right. the status quo has to be maintained. Um, but, you know, Jordan hasn't been the ideal partner in uh, all the, in its relationships with Israel. Uh, I know the king has a lot of pressures on him. There are domestic pressures. Uh, there's, a, a, you know, a lot going on there that, you know, we rarely talk about, but it's... Um, not to be dismissed and not to be overlooked, uh, the situation there. Uh, and uh, we'll, we'll have to see, but I don't anticipate that there would be a radical change uh, now in that regard. All right, already looking forward to next week, Erev Shabbos Hanukkah, where you and I get to speak about the uh, the week in Dubai. And yes, there will be a weekly update next week, everybody. Please, God, it'll literally be the morning after we get back uh, from this upcoming trip. Malcolm, thanks so much for joining us. Have a wonderful Shabbos, a happy Chanukah, and we'll speak Bezrat Hashem next week. God willing, and remember this week was the anniversary, is the commemoration about Jews from the Arab countries, 850,000 Jewish refugees, which gets very little attention. And welcome and, to all the Jews from Ethiopia who came and, this week. And uh, Right, I was just going to say that next, and that uh, <laughs> with, amongst the good news is the Ethiopian Jews who arrived, and, and supposedly 2,000 are going to come by January. Wow. And... Um, Right, so... Unbelievable, I'll tell you. And boy, the, some of them waited a long time. I've told you the story of the one who was in my apartment and speaking right. about the, their parents' struggle. My God, unbelievable. Uh, thank you, Malcolm. Have a wonderful Shabbos. Malcolm Honline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations, Fridays, 7.40 a.m. Eastern Time, here at JM in the AM.